welcome back to episode seven of the Punting Fantasy Podcast. A um, bit of a different voice this week, but Wedo will be joining us later in the podcast. I'm joined by Tom, who's one of our regulars, and we've also got a special guest today. And I'll tell you what, folks, it doesn't get much more special than this. The Commissioner of the League, uh, the uh, GM of Schmidty's Chutney, Kevin Fleming. Welcome, Kev. Thank you, Muggsy. It's great to be on again, mate. It's actually Schmidty's Chutney for your reference from, from now on, if you guys haven't watched New Girl. Um, it's obviously based on that show where he refers to it as Chutney when he's talking about things he loves about India. So, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you guys might also uh, recognise Kev's voice from the UFC segment that we did earlier in the year. Kev's one of our UFC experts, but... Um, Back to Tom, who's a not-so-special guest. Uh, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. It's good to be back it's, uh, once again. Plenty happening in uh, the world of basketball and cricket this week. So, yeah, can you do it? All right. Before we get into it, quick question for you guys. Obviously, we've got Christmas coming up in a couple of days. Go-to Christmas meal or even if it's just a side of your Christmas feast, what are we going? I'll throw over to Kev first. Um, I'm a huge ham guy. So like when it comes to Christmas, I want to keep it real simple. Um, a big ham and then prawns and, and lagers. So I've been a bit off my dad the last few years. He's been going the fruity beers. So this year I said to his new ham and prawns and that'll do me. What about you, Muggsy? Nah, prawns. Sure. Up seconds, would you? <laughs> well, rarely. Um, yeah, no, prawns are my, I like prawns because I rarely have them outside of the Christmas feast. Um, what about you, Dollar? Yeah, we're all in the greens. I'm all about seafood. Um, so prawns, bugs, any other kind of seafood, I'm all in. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm with Kev as well. Can't go past it with ham. So yeah, I think we're all, uh, we're all in the greens on that one. You're more of a, um. Like, you hang out at the Burley Pav nowadays, don't you, Muggsy? You're more of a bug roll kind of guy. <laughs> I actually, it's funny you say that. I was, whilst I was at the Burley Pav, I was uh, drinking schooners of Tui's New. So I haven't lost touch at all, mate. You don't have to worry about me. But uh, the bug well, rolls they do there are unbelievable. I'll keep that in mind for next time. We, uh, we're going to move into a bit of NBA chat, and uh, it's a bit hard at the moment. Yeah, you kind of have to preface everything you say in the NBA world at the moment with COVID because obviously it's running right through the NBA. Um, I'll throw over to you, Brandy, because you're probably the most across it out of the three of us, but <clears throat> COVID playing a pretty big role at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately, there's, there's not a whole lot that uh, can be done. It's like the, um, the NBA has... Revised the health and safety protocols. Obviously, 25% of the league is now in protocols, but the NBA has revised these. So any team that's got two positive tests uh, in the in the 15 rostered guys has got to sign one extra player by a hardship exemption. And then every player after that, so the third player, fourth player, fifth player, you've got to sign one, one for one. Um, I suppose the aim of that is to eradicate any more postponements, as we've seen there's been a few in the last the last few weeks. Um I suppose that's the aim of, of that kind of revision. Um, but as I said, 25% of the league now in protocols. It's um, it's playing, playing havoc with 
the standings and with the fixtures. So, um, what do you reckon, Kev? As a fan and watching the games, it's actually like, I don't know, it's pretty ordinary. They've really diluted the product because the players out there are just not what the fans want to see. Like, I've, I saw the Bucks starting team the other day and it was five blokes that I'd pretty much never heard of. Um, and then we had, like, Brooklyn, David Duke Jr. And, um, like, I don't know, you'd, you've probably got some of them in your team, Brandy, but, like, that's just not what you want to be seeing in the NBA. So I don't know the solution. It would, like, the, the only way to really eradicate it would be to have a bubble again. Um, but obviously the players would be against that. But my response to that would be you're getting paid, you know, people on a two-way contract are getting paid $2 million. Or, and then, you know, the, the mean salary is like $10 million. So um, you're getting paid pretty well to do this as a job and we want to see good basketball. So, you know, I'd actually prefer it to, to stop for a couple of weeks, even though a few blokes in our punting group would be pretty lost for those two weeks. I'd rather that happen um, so we can go back to watching the best players play again. Oh, it's funny you say that, Kev, because... Um... The commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, actually come out in the last couple of days and said that there's no plans on pausing the league. So at this stage, it seems like they're just going to plough through it. But I think uh, that's enough on that negative stuff. And we'll move on to the on-court stuff because that's a bit more entertaining and a bit more positive. But uh, we actually kind of move on to something that's of a similar Similar story, but Corey Irving, the part-time player. You talk about the uh, nice salary, Kev. Imagine being on that salary as a part-time worker. He, uh, the Nets obviously have said that he is allowed to join the team again because they're a bit low on troops, like Kev mentioned before. Um, I think they're a bit sick of playing David Duke Jr. and, and co. So, uh, yeah, Kyrie Irving comes back. And uh, what you, do you think of this story, Kev? I reckon that's weak as piss from the, from the Nets. Like, they said from the start... Um, we're not playing him because we're not going to have a part-time player or we want continuity because, you know, if we're playing in the playoffs, we can't have a bloke playing half the games, even though he is probably a top 20 player in the comp, you'd say. Um, but they've gone back on that. And I don't think the, that being low on players is an excuse for, for that because it's it's more of a like a, a fundamental question of what they stand for. So um, I reckon that's a bit weak. It, but it... But again, it might be a bit of a power move from them saying, you know, Kyrie, you get vaccinated, otherwise we're going to trade you. So, or something like that, maybe. I don't know. I think he's a fruit loop, but hopefully for the mole rats, he comes back. <laughs> Dollar? Yeah, I, I think Kev nailed it. Like, I was listening to Chris Mannix and Howard Beck, um, you know, a couple of days ago, and I'm talking sort of about the, the reasoning behind... Um, Corey Irving not being allowed to play in the first place. And a lot of that was driven by sort of um, the basketball sort of influence. It was, it was the fact, as Kevin mentioned, they didn't want to have part-time players. It's hard to, you know, continually reintegrate a guy who's that dominant in your offense. You know, when you've got to keep reintegrating every two to three games, you know, you, you don't have for a week at a time. So that decision there was predominantly, uh, was predominantly basketball driven. And now he's coming back. Um, and this is what, what Manning and Beck are talking about, but, decision to bring it back is also predominantly basketball driven. As Kev mentioned, once again, they've got a, a serious shortage of blokes at the moment. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a bit concerned about the, the minutes that Kevin Durant's logging. So he's there to, he's there to ease the load. Um, and I think, you know, 
given the circumstances with the whole COVID situation, it's it's a bit interesting that they continue to go back and forth on what's acceptable and what's not, especially when the NBA is, you know, a league that leads from the front in terms of, you know, social social justice and, um, you know, equality and things like that. The, the NBA likes to get on the front foot with things like that. So it is pretty interesting, especially given that Sean Marks and, and Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, were pretty intent on, on having the players vaccinated. So I think it's pretty interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what happens going forward. Because, you know, there's been talk of more cities um, bringing in a vaccine mandate. So, you know, what happens if, if that happens? Can, can they continue to justify bringing him in for road games only when it's, you know, it's not even all the road games? Um, so, but obviously, he's going to be he's going to be out of the lineup for over the half of their remaining games. And come playoffs, if he's still playing, um, I don't really understand how that's going to work when you've got a guy who's uh, that, you know, that big of a part in your offense who, who's... In some series, he's going to be missing more games than he's able to play. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. It'll be interesting what they do before then. Um, you know, if Once they get back to full health, you know, they have their guys return if they, if they continue to let him play or they, you know, send him back to the back to the shelf. So, yeah, interesting situation. Um, I'm, I'm sort of I'm keen to see how it unfolds. Yeah, no, it is interesting. And it's one of those, it's pretty polarising because obviously it's a mix of the needs of the basketball team versus a, glo- a global pandemic. So tough to balance. But uh, we'll move on to our next point. Um, Aussie boy, Josh Giddy, he's actually starting to hit his straps. I think over the last of his last three or four games, he's averaging a triple-double. And uh, I'm actually someone who's gone on the record to, I think, both of you guys before saying that he was going to be in and out of the league pretty quick. And I've been, you know, I'm happy to have been proven wrong because obviously it's great to see an Aussie boy Going pretty well. Just got to hope that OKC don't shut him down. You've always been big on Giddy, haven't you, Kev? Um, I wouldn't say that, but before I get into that, it's good to it's good to hear someone on this podcast own their losses or their all their bad takes. Um, you hear you hear all about Weddy's wins, don't you? And you know, to be fair to him, he's a pretty good tipster, but far out, he doesn't take much responsibility for his losses, does he? But um, yeah, Giddy, he looks like a good young player, and um. More so than in the NBA, I'm a huge Boomers fan. Like, I love international basketball, as you know. Like, I was talking about it going into the Olympics, and um, I'm pretty keen to see how that um, unfolds over the next few years. Because if you've got him, um, Simo to come back in the fold, hopefully Mills is still around for the next one, and then um, you need a couple of shooters around them, don't you? So you throw like a... um, I don't know if Chris Golding, is he an option, Brandy? I don't know if you follow the NBL at all. Yeah. But um, it'll be good to see the Aussies have a have a good team come the next um, Olympics or World Cup or whatever it may be. We obviously have Thibel there as well. So Simmons and Thibel probably, when you look across the NBA landscape, probably what, two of the best five perimeter defenders in the NBA? And that might even be doing them, like not doing them enough justice, really. Maybe two of the top three. But uh, what do you think, Brandy? Giddy going all right? Yeah, look, on the boomers thing, I'll, I'll be surprised if Simmons ever plays. I want to see that before I commit to talking about Simmons being a boomer. Um, but Jock Landau's another Aussie who's been playing well in some spot minutes for the Spurs. But yeah, Giddy, um, the Thunder have won two straight, which is, which is good for them. They had a, a good close win um, against the Grizzlies by three points 
in John Moran's return. Um, yeah. They beat the Clippers by a point as well. So obviously, the close games, good for, good for development, um, good learning experiences. And yeah, he's been great. Um, he's really shown a, an ability sort of through the first portion of this season to control the game. Um, plays at his own pace, really good full vision um, in the mould of sort of a lot of up-and-coming point guards these days. He's a bit taller and likes to kickstart the break himself. So, you know, he's happy to jump under the bucket and, and bring the ball up and push the pace, um, which is, is exciting to watch. And it's going to be even more exciting as they continue to get, um, you know, more shooting and more talent around him um, in, in Oklahoma City. So, yeah, obviously the shooting for him is, is a bit of a problem and the defence is also a little bit of a problem. Um, but, you know, he's, a, he's obviously a pretty smart guy, got a pretty good basketball IQ, so I'm keen to see how... Uh, that sort of translates on the defensive end for him, like it has for a lot of other big, big guards such as you know Alonzo Balls and um, even your Lamelo Balls to an extent. He's not he's not quite as good on the ball, but yeah, gets in passing lanes and really good at key starting the break. Um, you know, either in getting in passing lanes or um, or you know for defensive rebounds. So yeah, super exciting for for the Australian basketball, and it's it's been good to see an Aussie sort of come in and um, live up to the hype straight away so yeah just on that like i reckon it's a terrible decision by ben simmons and his management not to commit to the boomers in for the olympics this year and um for for him to obviously go from that atlanta series where he was disappointing and um and then he had that break i reckon the olympics was the perfect opportunity for him to jump back into it and the aussies get behind people like if he was, we see Fox Sports, there's an article every time Giddy scores 10 points. And then, you know, we get behind him as supporters. And obviously we're talking about it on the podcast now, but I think that Simmons really missed an opportunity there to capture some of us as as fans. Like I was pretty put off by it, to be honest. And now I just think he's a, um, he's a bit of a sook. So I think he's missed an opportunity there. Yeah, I think that was this that was the first decision of a chain of decisions that him and his management have made that, like, you could even argue, Kev, that if he plays in the Olympics, he might even be traded by now and be in that desirable destination that he wants to be in rather than still being stuck in Philly. Because it just come off as... It come off... He, like, it was abysmal how he ended that season in the playoffs. And it just... Although he might not have meant it this way, it come across as, why, like, why would I go to the Olympics? Like, I, I'm Ben Simmons. I don't need to work on my game. Like, it was like... Even if you just go and jack up a bunch of threes and just that's where you get your your reps in, like a pretty hard to understand. But no, no one's bigger than their like we saw Luca just carry um, is it Slovenia, um, yeah. and like yeah, I don't think that's an argument. I reckon still representing your country, and especially when you see people like Patty Mills and Joe Ingles and what it means to them, like they lift, they go to another level when they play for Australia. Yeah, and so and like we saw Thibault come in and do that pretty much from the outset as well. So, yeah, and then the, the Philly stuff at the moment is just a bit of a mess. I think Rich Paul's pretty pretty used to getting what he wants for his clients. And in this case, like, and Philly have every right to just say, no, we're not going to trade him for unders and um, teams aren't playing ball with them. So I completely agree with what Philly's, Philly's doing. Yeah, we're going to get to uh, some Ben Simmons trade talk a little bit later in this segment. But uh, we started off the NBA segment by talking about, you know, guys missing games and uh, from a, just a pretty negative standpoint. But we've had some big names return from injury this week. Um, 
obviously Jar and Booker have come back this week, two of the more exciting young stars in the NBA and, you know, not on their level, but another interesting and big name, uh, Jalen Green coming back later this week, returning from his hamstring injury. So it's good to see a couple of these young blokes returning and the Suns have still been killing it. Actually, the Grizzlies started killing it when Jar left as well, coincidentally. But, um, yeah, it's good to see the young faces back in the league. Hey, Tom. Yeah, um, like you said, the Suns didn't really used to be at Booker. They got blown out by the Cliffs like late last week, but there was no eight in that one either. He was ill um, and they were really just on the fumes at that point. So besides that one game, they've been they've been rolling, blowing teams out. Um, Chris Paul's been able to rest fourth quarters in like four of their last five games, um, which I can take on my fantasy team and it's frustrating when he finishes the third with 30 fantasy points and finishes the game with 30 fantasy points. So... Um, They've not missed a they've not missed a beat and they'll continue to go from strength to strength with Booker back. Obviously had a really good game today against the Lakers. Um and once again they they blew them out. Um the Grizzlies we talked about on the pod the last couple of weeks, they were ten and two without Jar. Um I think the most interesting well, the most interesting point that you know, something that was interesting from that whole scenario was the Grizzlies continue to just do their own thing when it comes to injury reporting. Like when Jar suffered that injury, it was a non contact knee problem. Um, and pretty much they came out and said it was an ankle sprain, which you can take sort of at face value. Oh, sorry, not an ankle sprain, a knee sprain, um, which you can take at face value. Could mean anything. And then we didn't really hear anything more until he was questionable in the injury report um, before before the game yesterday against the Thunder. So that was interesting. They didn't really provide any update. We still don't really know what kind of injury he actually suffered. Um but, yeah, as you mentioned, Mitch, it's really good to see him back and um, that's going to be good for the Grizzlies in the long run as well. I think, and, yeah, Jalen Green, interesting one. We've talked about them, the Rockets as well, a bit on the podcast. They've obviously sort of won a few more games uh, since he... Who cares? ...the bench, but... <laughs> Next. <laughs> it's just pretty interesting with that. Like, as we've seen, it's been a pretty, a pretty strong rookie class and he's probably been the, uh, I suppose, the biggest disappointment so far, which I suppose is, is a bit of a... Um, an early label to put on a block like that, but when he was the second overall pick and, and came out pretty hot, saying he should have been number one, he's probably been the most disappointing, at least out of those top five or six picks so far. Um, you reckon he's so, more disappointing than Suggs? I think Suggs has shown a bit more um, than Jalen Green so far this year. Suggs, Suggs has shown a real two-way ability, which we didn't see at all from Green. Um, I still think Green's going to be a really good player um, in the long run. We see this with scoring guys. We saw it with Anthony Edwards last year. He was, he was pretty average to start the year and, and really took off after the All-Star break. Playing, next, Green, to, playing next to Kevin Porter Jr. can't be helping him. I agree. Yeah, he's, he's got to do a lot himself and there's a lot of eyeballs on him. Um, so I think he'll figure it out. I think it'll take him a bit longer than does some other blokes. But I think if you give if you give Green yeah, another three to four years, I think he's a, he's a really, really good NBA player. But so far... This season has struggled. Yeah, as you mentioned, Kev, the, the roster construction and the guys that he's playing with, it's got a, got a fair bit to do with that as well. Got a lot on his plate. Yeah, the next uh, the next point we've got here is just MB going to Shaq levels. He's just taking the absolute piss at the moment. I know that, Kev, you, you've always been a pretty big Joel fan, I believe. Um, obviously, his issues. Well, I'm a big Shaq fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of both. And I reckon that comparison's a bit far-fetched, if you ask me. Sorry, but I'm just going off. I think going off like the face value of the numbers, like forty and fifteen or whatever he's been yeah, putting yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, 
No, he's absolutely dominant. Like, obviously, him and um, Jokic would be the standout centers at the moment, but go about it in very different ways. Like, Jokic runs the offense, and, you know, he's probably the most efficient player. I don't know what the, what the um, stats and the numbers say, but he he's seems like far, the most ever. efficient player. To your point, like, apparently every advanced stat, every efficiency stat, he's, like, streets ahead of the rest. Jokic, that is. Yeah, but if you came up against, like, if you're a big guy and you're coming up against Embiid, like, a, you know, if you're a young centre coming up and you're playing against Embiid, I feel like that would be more intimidating than coming up against Jokic at the moment. So um, in, in that respect, I, I see the comparison, but I think it's tough to compare anyone to Shaq from what I've seen, like footage I've seen and, you know, some of the numbers for, for a prolonged stretch. But, um, no, he's definitely doing well and carrying Philly at the moment. I actually think Embiid, he's always been a really good back-to-the-basket player and he's always been super efficient out of the low block, but I think he's actually taken a bit of a step there. And that might be a bit of a byproduct of his physical build. Obviously, we've, we've seen him deal with a lot of injuries. Um, and the more efficient he is because he's back-to-the-basket, yeah, Kev? It probably also helps that there's not a 6'11 guy that can't shoot clogging up the paint next to him. <laughs> Well, he's always had to be a good shooter to accommodate Simmons. But I think, like, that game against the Celtics the other day, they were doubling him in, in the post every time. The Celtics were sent him to He was just turning around fading, and it was just wet every single time. Um, and, like, that's a that consistency is something he has kind of lacked at, at times in the past. Um, he struggled with his, with his post efficiency in the post, and, and that's kind of carried across to the rest of his offensive game, um, which has then been compounded by the spacing and other, you know, roster construction, things like that, that that have been pretty heavily discussed. So I think that kind of, that step in his post game has been really impressive. I think it's good for his long-term outlook as well. Obviously, more points he scores on the block, unless he's got a bang underneath the bucket. Um, And, you know, that's probably a bit better for his his overall uh, durability. Um, Yeah, he's been huge since he's come back from from his... um, COVID diagnosis. Um, the, the Sixers have been struggling a little bit, but yeah, that game against the Celtics was huge. That stopped a three-game skid. And I think when you see him dominate like that, you really see how it opens up for guys like Tobias Harris. Obviously, they've been out without Maxi. He's got a core problem, but Tobias Harris is just so much better when he is able to attack closeouts and isn't the focal point of the opposing defense. Um, and I think when Embiid's dominating the way he is, that it lifts, it lifts guys like that. Yeah, well, Kev, you mentioned that not having a 6'11 guy who can't shoot next to swim is helpful. So our next little segment could be a bit boring for you, Kev, because I actually wrote this thinking that uh, Wedo would be hosting. But um, we're going to do a bit of a role play. I'm happy to actually swap between you and Brandy. So you guys can take turns of being Daryl Morey, who is the president of basketball operations at the 76ers. And uh, I'll act as GMs from around the league and we'll, ha- we'll have a little negotiation. So I'll come to you first, Dollar, because this is close to your heart. Hi, Daryl. My name's Joe Cronin. I'm the interim GM of the Portland Trailblazers. Um, I've got some guys who could probably stretch the floor and one guy who can play a bit of perimeter defense for you. Um, How does CJ McCollum and Nas Little for Ben Simmons sound? If if I'm Daryl, I'm saying yeah. Um, If I'm... If I'm in your shoes, I'm saying no. But That's why I'm in my shoes. Yeah. Um, oh, piggybacking off what we were just talking about with Embiid, I think his play has kind of showcased that 
the Sixers can't afford to sit on, you know, a season where he's producing at this level because we we talked about his his injury history and his durability. You just can't afford to waste a whole year. This like he's playing and has been playing the way he's been playing for you know the last little while now. Even before he went down with COVID, he was putting up some some big numbers. Um, you know, in between his his struggles, but the Sixers are sixteen and fifteen. Um, like they're not they're not a contender in the East at the moment. Um, and they're not going to be unless they make some sort of change. You know, guys like Seth Curry are playing really well. Tobias Harris is starting to look like he can turn it around, but they're not enough. Like a guy like CJ, I think, you know, he's not a pure point guard, but he can run the point. Um, he's just another guy. I can tell you because I've watched him play basketball for years now, he can get you a bucket when it really matters. Like some of the biggest shots in Blazers basketball in the last 10 years have been hit by CJ McCollum. Like the first one that comes to mind was game seven against the Nuggets. You know, it was like 94, 96, something like that. Low scoring game. And, um, and CJ comes out, gets to his spot, the elbow, you know, free throw line jump by, gets to bucket. Like that's what they've been lacking for so long is a guy who can, who can make that shot. Um, it's not named Joel Embiid. So, yeah, if I'm if I'm more, I'm saying yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I love your analysis there, but from a Portland perspective, like they need to do something. You've got Dame Lillard in his prime, and he's obviously he's probably a top ten player, arguably, and he they're not you're not winning. Like speaking of that, you you probably owe us a carton each, but um we can get to that <laughs> offline. Um, but you yeah, something needs to happen there. So. You know, Ben Simmons might not be the ideal person, but, um, you know, CJ's got value. And if if you can, like, if you're changing something up, it might not be the worst option. I just don't think you can sit on CJ and say he's done this and he's done that. Like, what what do you want for him then? I've talked about it in, in recent episodes. Like, I've, I've, for a long time, I've been in the no, don't trade CJ camp. Um, and I'm, I'm possibly, I'm finally coming around to, you know, that possibility, but... I think for that, you can get like, – there's, there's other options out there than Ben Simmons. I don't know if Ben Simmons fixes the problems for the, for the Blazers at the moment. And in saying that, Nas Little has shown some real improvement this year. Um, Tom, you're not, look, you're not, not going to trade for Simmons because of Nas Little. That's not – I'm just saying, if you, I, think you can, I think there's other options out there that would need to be explored before going the Simmons, um, the Simmons path. You know, it's not as desperate – like CJ's he's injured at the moment, but he's he's not sitting on the sidelines. But he doesn't doesn't want to play. Like I think there's other options there. Um, and yeah, like as I said, Nas Lil, insane. He's got value. Right, has shown a real two way potential. I think this year, and he's, he's a player for the future. So yeah, I would. I'm not ruling it out if I'm Joe Cronin, but I think there's there's other pathways to explore before you you settle on that um, right. scenario. We'll get through. I've got four more of these. We're running a little bit over, so we'll get through these quicker. All right, I'll come across to you, Kev. Hi, hi, Daryl. Um, my name is Sachin Gupta. You might know me as the GM of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I need some perimeter defense, and I can have a guy who can't shoot because I've got the best big man shooter of all time. Um, how does D'Angelo Russell and Jaden McDaniels sound to you? Hmm, that's that's interesting, but I'm I'm saying no. Um, yeah, I, I'm saying no. I think you know Nas Little and Jade McDaniel's are in the same sort of category there. And then you're talking D'Lo, who um, 
you know, he can bring some shooting, I suppose, that that Simmons couldn't. But um, Simmons was elite at a couple of things where I, I'm not sure D'Lo has that same impact. Um, and, you know, he's not he's not reliable. Like, his body's not reliable. Not that, not that Simmons has been the most reliable person. But I, I don't think there's enough there for Philly. Like, they've been sitting on him for this long. They're not going to do it for that. Um on the CJ one, though, and I won't go on for long, I actually think that's a win-win. Like, I would take that from both parties. I think that's making both teams better. I think Simo's elite defensive stuff, he can add something to, to Portland with with Dame. And, you know, if Nurt can stay healthy, I think there's something there. Um, and CJ, obviously, instant impact for Philly. Um, so, yeah, I would not take that deal. Sorry, Sachin. Uh, no worries, Daryl. I'll move on to my, my other Daryl. Um, hi, Daryl. My name is Monty McNair. You might know me as the uh, GM of the Sacramento Kings. Um, my team is just fucking terrible, so I'm just trying to do whatever I can to help. Uh, I've got a young fast boy named De'Aaron and, <laughs> and one of the more disappointing players in the NBA, Marvin Bagley. Would you like those two for Ben Simmons? Um, this one's interesting. I'm going to say yeah. Um, oh no! I'm a I'm a really big. I have been since he was drafted. I was super high on Darren Fox um, coming into his draft, and I still am super high. Obviously, he's struggled this year, and you know people started questioning the shot if it's ever going to develop, which is fair enough. He's really struggled. Um, hey, but, hey, Tom, you're not building a points league fantasy team. You're building a team to win the NBA chip. Yeah, and I reckon Darren Fox can be an all star. Um, I don't think that's far-fetched, far-fetched at all. Um, and I think when you've got guys like, you know, Seth Curry um, on the wing next to him, there's enough shooting there. Um, and I, you know, Fox has shown he can shoot the ball at a league average level. So I don't, um, you know, I just... I, in, how, how is that an upgrade on Simmons? Or like, how, how is that any better than Simmons? Because he's a guy who can get a bucket. He's not going to, like, that's what they need. They need a guy who can take a lot off and beat in fourth quarters. The rest of their roster is good enough to get them to fourth quarters. They just they don't have the, the crunch time offense. They never have. Um, and, yeah, I think Fox can give them that. Daryl Morey is not taking that deal. No, but Daryl Morey is not taking the CJ one either. Daryl Morey is not taking any of these ones unless you add picks to them. Like, Daryl Morey is not accepting CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons straight up. That's going to take Simmons, Simons, Nassil, and probably two first-round picks. I think come February, it'll, it'll be a bit different. Yeah. I actually had picks written down here, but I figured saying it out loud would get it all a bit too messy. But uh, I'll come back Come back to you, Kev. Um, hi, Daryl. <laughs> My name is David Griffin. You might know me as the GM of the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, obviously, Seth Curry and Tyrese Maxey are doing a great job for you as guards, so I think you might need some something on the wing. Um, I've got Brennan Ingram and Kira Lewis Jr. for you. How does that sound for Ben Simmons? Brandon Ingram for Ben Simmons, possibly. I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going on in New Orleans. Um, I probably wouldn't do that. I think he's very similar to Tobias Harris, um, and I I don't know. CJ is my favourite one so far out of the four. Okay. I've got an interesting one. This one, this was a bit of a stretch. But uh, hi, hi, Tom. Hi, Daryl. You might know me as uh, Bob Myers. I'm the GM of the Golden State Warriors um, for the same reasons. Obviously, your guards are showing pretty good promise, so I've got a bit of wing depth for you. 
How does uh, Andrew Wiggins and Moses Moody sound for Ben Simmons? Nah, next. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely my weakest. Well possible. said. Not even close. <laughs> what, what about James Wiseman? Nah, not even close. Is why he a would, trade asset at all? Why would Philly want him? Uh, Philly wouldn't want him. Like, he's got no value for Philly. I don't I don't know. He, he was really poor last season, and obviously he hasn't played yet this year because um, he's been injured and doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime in the next sort of four weeks, but yeah, I don't know. Don't I didn't really love him much in the draft. I don't I really love him much now. I don't really think he's much of an asset um, at the moment. I think you need to see a bit more from him before we start sort of talking about his value. So yeah, no, well done. I just thought that'd be a fun segment. We need to get it moving though. So. Um, we'll move over to some cricket. Um, obviously, the second test finished a day or two ago now. Um, and we're just going to recap over some of the points the blokes made last week. So, obviously, um, Cummins was a late scratch for this one. So, Smith come into captaincy and he pretty much just nailed it. I think all the plans were great. His declaration timings looked a little dicey at one point, but obviously got it done eventually. Um, what do you guys make of Smith back in the blazer? Yeah, look, I think he's making a lot of decisions even when he's vice-captain. Um, I, I don't think he stepped up into this role and did all these things. You know, I thought most of the decisions sort of made themselves in that test. And um, I think our team's just a lot better than theirs, particularly here at the moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was good good to see. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. Is, and I think there's a bit of a gulf between the, uh, the two sides at the moment. So, yeah, as you said, Kevin, most of the decisions tend to make themselves when the game is one-sided from, from session one. So, Well, well extending, extending on to your point about how shit they are, the second point here I've got is um, Ollie Robinson bowling off spin in, in sunnies. Um, obviously, his offies probably weren't that much slower than his seam-ups anyway. But uh, what is happening there? That's like you're not playing clubbies here. You're playing test cricket. Give me a break. Yeah, it was pretty ordinary. Like, the, the bowling actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, he, um, it wasn't. You know, he, like, I saw some stat. He was getting 1.2 degrees more spin than Leach or something like that. So, um, obviously, a bit more of a turning deck at Adelaide. So, it was another brain fart with the team selection. But um, they didn't really have an option. Like, they could have gone Leach again um, and he would have been carded. Might have got a couple of wickets. But, um, but they would have just gone after him again. Um, and they don't really have anything in the wings. Like Dom Best bowls a lot of bad balls, and their leggies aren't going to bowl less bad balls. So um, tough one for them. Um, but, yeah, Ollie Robinson bowling, bowling off spin when people were waking up to watch it at 4 o'clock in the UK. Um, that pretty much sums up their, their tour so far. Do you have anything to add, Brandy? Can we move on to the next point? It was pretty pretty easy up and down test this. I think it says more about the state of English cricket than anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll look at more on the Australian front. Um, obviously, not a couple of debutants. One debutant, Michael Nisa and Jai Richardson, who made a return back to Test cricket after a year or two off. Um, Jai, obviously, in that first inning, struggled a little bit. I think he tried a little too hard. Um, maybe just a few jitters. But that second innings, he he bowled unreal, bowled the house down, Pfeiffer. Um and then Nisa just showed us all 
what he has been for Queensland over so many years, just solid as a rock. Um, obviously, this poses a bit of a fast bowling selection dilemma um, for the Boxing Day test. Assuming Cummins is back and Hazelwood is out, um, who do you think gets the drop? I lean Nisa, but I'm, I want to hear what you guys have to say. I'll go over to you, Kev, first. Uh, in an ideal world, I'm playing Swepo at the SCG. Like, I don't want to use Test Cricket as a as a trial, but if we're up 3-0, I think it's a great opportunity to blood someone like Swepo um, at the SCG. And I thought that Stark, you know, he looked a bit sore in this game. I think he bowled about 28 overs in the second innings. He pulled up when he was batting. Um, and so I would rest him, bring Cummins back for him. That would be my only change. And then at, at the SCG, I'd want Stark and Cummins as my quicks. Yeah, if Hazelwood's back, Cummins and Hazelwood, or you keep Stark? I don't think you can bring Cummins back. Uh, sorry, Hazelwood back from a side strain and have only one quick with him. Like, I think that's pretty, I don't know, it just could be a heavy load, even though you've got Green there. Um, so I'd probably just hold him. You know, he is probably going to be desperate to play if he misses two and he's right to go. But I think a side strain is a bit of a bit of an iffy one. So I'd hold him out for for that one as well. I suppose you got a bit more batting with um, with Stark in there over Hazelwood as well. Brandy, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think they, they discussed a bit of a like there would be a little bit of rotation. I think before the series started. So, um, given Cummins being healthy and, and Hazelwood not, I'd, I'd probably lean with. Jai Richardson over Nessa just, um, but like I think it's a good problem to have when you when you've got to kind of make that call. It says a lot about the depth um, of, of fast bowlers in Australian cricket, which you know we've probably got the the best attack in the world at the moment. And when you've got guys who can come in and, and pick up the slack, you know, and, and the team doesn't really miss a beat, I think that that's a really good like a really good problem to have. I suppose on the on the opposite hand to the uh, the English side. So yeah, well, one of the most glaring. Uh, holes in the English side. Their selections have obviously been shite, but um, Joss Butler. I, I'm not sure. Have they been? Have they been? Like, what would you guys? What would you guys have done differently? <laughs> I don't know. I would have picked Broaden Anderson for that first test. Like, you you put all your hopes. Like they pretty much said by that first test, this is a write off. Um, I, I just don't like the message it sent more than anything. This is a write off. We're focusing purely on the Adelaide test. Australia haven't lost. Like, what, are, what are Anderson's numbers at the Gabba? They wouldn't be pretty. I don't and know. obviously this deck is a bit greener than, you know, normal Gabba decks of the past few series. But I don't – I think they've targeted Adelaide. Pink ball test is the one they thought they could win. Um, I thought they definitely should have played one of them. I probably would have gone with Broad um, yeah. instead of – but Robinson was pretty impressive, and he was taken away from the lefty. And then you got Wokes, who was there. He averages 28 in Test cricket with the bat. Um, but his bowling's not as good oh, there. His bowling, so. is, his bowling is tripe. He's – I – like, oh, he, he bowls well. Like, I understand your point. Averaging 28 in Test cricket with the bat, like, you're no mug there at all. But I just think he is – He's good at both disciplines, but he's not good enough at either to be – like, does that make sense? Like, it's not like – Yeah, yeah. 
I do agree, but then you're playing what you're batting Robinson at eight, and like it's a long tail. But you know, you should. We just we go by the model of picking your six best batters, a keeper, and then your three best quicks and your best spinner. Like that's what Australian cricket, I think, has done. And then if there's an all rounder around, we'll try to push them along a bit to bat in the top six. But we've been pretty fortunate in that respect that we've we've had an attack of four people that can get it done. Um, but I think Stokes is better than just like a part time bowler. So picking four quicks plus Stokes for the second test was pretty weird. I thought. Um, so I, I think, think Bourne definitely should I might have been a bit worried about Stokes's fitness. Obviously, yeah. he had that lower leg issue at the Gabba. But uh, sorry, back to back to our point. We went off a little bit, but like fair points, Kev. I, yeah, they're. I just don't think they're that good. Well, no, they're not. Their squad depth isn't good enough, and that's showing. Um, but Josh Butler, so he he took two of the better catches you'll ever see a wicketkeeper take, and he's dropped. Two absolute dollies. Um, he got worked over for a duck in the first innings and then nearly saved the game and then and then stood on his stumps whilst trying to save the game. Like, I'm not sure you'll see a more up-and-down test match than that. Oh, they just don't take their chances, and he's the main culprit. Um, you can't yeah. you can't drop him. Well, it's funny. You've got to... About him saving the game. Alex Carey watched one go over his right shoulder. Well... But was still on zero in that second inning, so it could have been a pair and three drop catches, which would have been, you know, a pretty rough game overall. Honestly, I personally, I think they sent their best keeper back to England on the um on the plane. I think Ben Folks is stiff not to be getting the game ahead of um ahead of Butler. I think, as I mentioned last week, I think they think Butler's this kind of game saving, like ultra aggressive, take the game out of your hand kind of batsman and. He just hasn't hasn't proven it with the red ball. Um, can do it with the white ball, but he's keeping them enough to scratch. And you know, folks, super tidy with the gloves. Not always the prettiest, but gets the job done. Um, you know, has a test hundred. Yeah, I think he's their best glover. Um, and unfortunately, he's he's gone back to England. So that's what all of their batsmen seem to be like. But like they seem to be like you look at their name on paper and you go, oh yeah, they're not too bad. You look at their records and they're all shit. Ben Stokes. Well, was the director in with white ball when they when they went like the white ball revolution? That was what they did. They, you know, aimed they aimed at the short the short shorter formats, and you know their test cricket is really stuff. They haven't been able to produce batsmen who can bat who can bat time. But Ben Stokes, right? So he's actually done it to Australia before. Like he's taken the game away from us, and he's probably played like that innings. Like that's probably the best test innings I've ever seen him play. It was that Headingley last year. In the ashes, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, the year before. But he, what's he, what's he averaging test cricket? Thirty six. Yeah, something like that. But it, so realistically, their team is if Joe Root doesn't get a hundred or a double, they're they're going to get 200, 250. Root's got the widest average, so his total runs it's the the biggest ever gap between him as the leading run scorer and the second leading run scorer for. It. For a team in a calendar year, so I think I think Reed's got sixteen hundred and Burns is next with like five hundred or four fifty or something like that. I mean, when Burns is your second best bat, that that says enough right there, really. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not one to break down someone's technique. I think technique is generally overrated in cricket, but if you're an opening batsman in Australia and you've got something glaring like that, then you're just going to struggle to overcome it. So 
I'd even consider replacing him, even if they intend on keeping him around for, you know, after after this series. It, it might actually help him rather than playing a whole tour here, five tests, ten innings, averaging ten. Um, it might do him better in the long run if they just give someone else a crack, like Crawley or something. Um, and the same applies for Hamid. Like, obviously, they're, they're prospects for England, and so I don't think it's actually helping them to just back him in for five tests here. So... Although I do think the next two next two tests, they're at drop-ins, aren't they? Are they both drop-ins? They help. Yep. So um, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Root or Stokes make big runs at one of these next two tests and, and someone like Burns finds a bit of form. So, yeah, we'll see. That'll probably do us for the cricket and the, um, the second test recap. Um, before we head off, Kev... I just thought I'd throw over to you as Commissioner of the League. Obviously, um, Commissioner Kev and Co-Commissioner Bill um, come up with an initiative last week. The Magic. Mentioned, um, <laughs> that was the uh, the Silly Season punting competition, Kev. So I just thought I'd throw over to you and just give a weekly recap. And if I was, uh, if I was JLP, I'd cover my ears. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll get the spready up. I'm actually just watching Paul Gallen walk out at the moment. So I'm sorry if I was being rude during that. I'm just watching. I've got $513 of my of my punting comp riding on this fight. So, um, but yeah, basically uh, we thought we'd do a little silly season punting comp um, between the 16 general managers in our fantasy league and where everyone chipped in a bit of money, which goes to a pool and everyone gets $1,000 fake money, I suppose to punt whatever you wanted. Um, just send a screenshot of the bet to Bill or I and we'd record it. Um, and whoever has the highest balance at the end, being January 8th, I think, um, is the winner. Wins a little trophy and about 200 bucks. So good little prize, but more so for the bragging rights of being the best punter because, as you've seen, if you follow our Instagram account at punting.fantasy, uh, we've got a few people with a weekly segment. So um, after about five days of this competition, we've got the Silly Seals on top with a balance of 1425. Um, he's only had two bets, one win, 575 profit on a little NBA multi. Um, so that was good for him. We've got Bill Russell's rings and the dollar store rounding out the top three. But the group is actually down. I hate to say it, but we're 26% down, which isn't a good start for us as a punting group. But um, I'm sure we'll turn around. We've got a few pending bets, as I said, as well. So, But unfortunately, JLP Survivors has crashed out on day three of our punting comp. Um, <laughs> Ten bets, two wins, biggest win of $23, which was on a trotter paying $1.25. It was, it was getting pretty desperate towards the end there. He lost $600 on the horses, lost 270 on the NBA, and his only category where he ended up on top was the trots. So not a good week for JLP. But, um, yeah, so follow along at our Instagram page. I'll be providing updates. We have a live leaderboard as well where you can, where you can um, see where you're tracking, what the balance is, and your pending bets as well. So, yeah, fun little concept for us. Kev, just for the listeners, could you just give us an update on where the four of us, including Bowman, are sitting at the moment? Yeah, so Dollar Store with a balance of eleven fifty has 
had five bets with two wins. Biggest win of $270. Best category, NBA. Uh, we've got Schmidty's Chutney with a balance of an even 1,000, but I've got 513 pending, as I said, all on this Paul Gallon who hasn't thrown a punch yet. So get going, please, Gal. Um, so I've had 34 bets, which is the most in the comp. 34? 12 wins, biggest win at 320. And then we've got Muggsy's Mile Rats yourself with a pending balance of $600, I believe, all on one event coming up. And then we've got, uh, where's, oh, the Bowman's Boys. Balance of $150. So our premier tipster, as he likes to call himself. Um, and, you know, he does, in fairness, provide very good horse racing tips, but just no discipline. So it's almost the perfect format where he's got his own little segment and people can take his tips because he does his research and he does a good job, but no discipline as a punter, which is why that, that little group set up um, actually was beneficial for him. But he's had 15 bets, three wins, Biggest win of seven twenty, I think that was three hundred on a three dollar. hundred and fifty, and he had a seven hundred and twenty dollar win. So he's had he's three hundred and fifty dollars in the green on horses. He's five hundred in the red on NBA, and he's seven hundred in the red on greyhounds. If that isn't if that isn't degenerate punting, I don't know what is. Um, well, that is a good indicator to our viewers that uh, he does know his stuff when it comes to the horses, and that's all we'll let him talk on when he's already yeah, exactly. back here. <laughs> We've just been joined by Weddo. He's back. He's he's come from the dead. Um, he's back to do our racing segment here. Um, first off, Weddo, I'll just ask the question that I asked the boys last night. You go to Christmas dish, like in your Christmas feast. What are you going to own? Well, we at the uh, at the wedding household, we actually do a little bit of a mixture in in breakfast and lunch. So breakfast is obviously just your ham and eggs. Um, definitely look forward to to ham on toast. Um, but lunch. I'm a big, big seafood fan, so prawn, bug, um, always looking forward to that through Chrissy and um, a bit of per- bit of pork that's uh, cooked on the, on the barbie, which comes up really nice and crispy. So, um, yeah, those are probably my, my top top ones. Right, let's get stuck into it. Now, uh, you wouldn't have heard this word over, but last night Kendall was uh, giving you a bit of, bit of stick about not owning your losses and only talking about your wins with great depth and just skipping over your losses. So I'd like you to maybe just respond to Kendall saying that. And we, you had four tips on the weekends, on the weekend, two wins, two losses. So maybe talk to us about your losses, mate. Yeah, as I have in the last however many shows we've done, I've um, always gone into a bit of detail about the losses. Um, I think it's interesting from from the bloke who, who manages the, uh, the Instagram punning page and, and the first ever tip that was put up, he actually deleted the post after it lost. Um, so interesting comment coming from coming from that bloke. Um, I'd uh, I'd strongly disagree. Uh, definitely keeps I keep track of all, all my losses and try to provide a little bit of analysis for the punters as to hopefully why or something to look out for in the future. And um, definitely going to continue to do that. Should we um, should we go over the weekend, mate? So you had your first tip was uh, Mooney Valley Race Five Translation. 
yeah, it didn't it just didn't run um, the way that I thought it was going to the the entire race, and um, ultimately translation the the selection um, had some really good form leading into it, which. Um, I mean, it's not always everything that you go off, but I, I do a lot of, of form and, and previous races for, for certain horses and especially the ones that I do select um, and tip for the for the punters. Um, unfortunately, as it does, this one just didn't, didn't pay off. Um, I certainly won't be jumping off the boat um, for this guy. Definitely keep him in, in the back of my head and, and at the bottom of our um, little document that we've got going on. But... Um, yeah, what just just didn't get the job done at at, at Mooney Valley, um, which which would have been nice to see at, at fairly decent odds on the Friday night. So, unfortunately, that's our first loss for the Mooney Valley um, wet bet selections. Um, we now move to to three from four, so that strike rate drops from 100 percent back to 75. Which hopefully, once we get a few more Mooney Valley meets on a Friday night, we can uh, we can bring that uh, strike rate back up a little bit. On a Saturday, Sam, talk us through. Obviously, your first tip was Flemington Race Eight, Number Nine, High and Dry. This one, this one was a good one. So, to talk to this one here, yeah, we'll lead in this this Saturday ones. Um, I really liked the look of this horse leading in. Um, as I said, as I've said in multiple times in in previous pods, um, massive fan of the Elton Zara stable, who have obviously now split. Uh, this was a, a Matthew Elton outright horse now, and the form leading into it was um, was outstanding. I uh, really thought, especially the uh, the second behind Lyrical Girl, I think it was the, the star behind, um, where they beat third quite convincingly. Um, Lyrical Lad, it was Solly. Oh, sorry. Um, jumped up in class for that, but winning over the track and distance prior was had some good fourth up form um, and was, was pretty fit for that. And uh, mowed him over down the, uh, down the Flemington Strait, which was a wonder to watch. And speaking of winners, um, on to Ramwick, race nine, number eight, Tycooners. This was $3.80 on the win, this one. So let's talk to this one here. Yeah, it was a J-Max special, this one. Um, as I touched on last week, the, the first up run in the prep for this guy um, managed a second on, on a protest, which um, he got bumped a fair few times in the run and still only finished, uh, I think it was less than half a length behind the, uh, behind the winner. Um, and, I mean... The form that James McDonald's in at the moment, um, anytime you see him on a horse, it's it's going to sway you one way. And certainly certainly got this guy home um, second up, so we'll need to have a really nice look at it um, in the coming in the coming races that it uh, that it runs in. Um, so I'll give you a chance to own own one of your not so good tips from the weekend. Wet here, uh, the last one you have is Ramwick Race Number Seven. Number four, above and beyond. This was a value bet, um, but, yeah, talk us through this one. Yeah, so there was a couple of races on the weekend. There was a little bit of a leader's bias at the track. Um, we saw this race, the leader take it out, and um, there was there was two horses fighting to, fighting to the lead and ended up stretching the rest of the field quite a lot and didn't really give much of a chance to, to the back markers. Um, again, this was my value bet uh, above and beyond. Was, it was paying 15 bucks, and I think it was about three three fifty to place. Um, there's a reason that it pays that much, and it's a reason it's a it's a value bet. Um, a little bit of information behind it uh, did did run on well um, around the bend, but like I said, was just too much ground to cover um, after the after the fast start from from those leaders. Um, and again, won't be won't be jumping off this one as we, as we did good and proper last week or a couple of weeks ago. So um, keep an eye out if he, he ever comes back at long odds, and you see Jason Collard on board. 
Yeah, so obviously no racing on this Saturday, Weddo, because that's obviously Christmas Day. So uh, we we moved to Sunday for a Boxing Day special. Um, your first tip that you've got here, Renwick Race 5, number one, Zagalo, 5.50. Tell us about it. Yeah, this race is a bit of a, uh, a Chris Wallace special. I can quite easily see the, the trifecta all being trained by, by Waller. Um, Zagalo, I found, had just coming into this race off some high-class races, um, and although he's taken un, an unbeaten four-year-old, um, just definitely has the class over the rest of the field. Uh, he's carrying top weight, but um, an apprentice goes on board, and, and one of my favourite apprentices in uh, Tyler Schiller, um, going on board with a, with a three-kilogram claim, so sort of levels out um, with that. Benchmark 88, and uh, goes up in, in preferred distance for this one, so... I think this guy at, uh, at five fifty um, and even two dollars and ten in the place should be giving this one a red hot crack. And if you don't want to take on the win, take the two dollars or two dollars plus the place because um, I'd be uh, I'd be absolutely filthy if he doesn't find himself on the podium. Yeah, and then uh, we move over. We move up to Brisbane. Uh, Doombin race eight number one. A big name returns. Bo Rosser at five fifty. You've always yeah. this one. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, my boy, my Adelaide boy, Toddy Pennell, comes up to to ride him um, in Brizzy. So I'm really looking forward to this guy return. Um, finished off, finished off last prep, um, unbelievably. Like he's just an absolute brute of a horse. Um, faded in the G1, uh, Sir Rupert Clark, um, and probably looking needed a rest at, at its last start, last prep. Um, but twice, two starts prior to that, had been beaten by Behemoth one of which was losing in a protest, um, which I was absolutely filthy about on the day because I had a little bit of coin thrown at, thrown at uh, him on the day. Um, keen to see how he comes up to Queensland after a little bit of a let-up. Um, some strong some strong horses in the race, there's no doubt, but I think this guy just has the class over the rest of the field. And um, like I said, at, at 550 odds for the pri- previous one, um, it's 550 for Bo Rosser, toddy on board. Um, go with me hard in your brain here for this one. Yeah, no, obviously, I'm also a massive fan of Toddy, but I'm not sure whether you know, Wet, is uh, is Bo Rosser trying to go to the Magic Millions? Is that is that what this prep is, or is that not the preferred distance, or coming from someone who knows nothing? Um, I'm not sure what, what the trainer's intentions are with um, with Bo Rosser. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure they'd want to take him back to a Rupert Clark or, or something like that, where he's running around that distance, but... Given that they've brought it up to, to Brizzy and especially they've, they've brought Toddy up as well, um, I, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's where they're heading um, early on in early on next year. Um, obviously, given with like the Memsey and the Rupert Clark that he ran last year was was towards the end of the the season. Um, so yeah, wouldn't be surprised if, if this prep is, is targeting towards a Magic Millions presence. Yeah, right. So and then we go uh, down to Melbourne, Caulfield Race Six. Number thirteen, the Awesome Sun, also at five fifty. So three five fifty dollar tips here. So a bit of value for the boys. Um, tell us about the Awesome Sun, Sam. Yeah, it was part of the reason why I didn't actually throw in a, a value bet itself is because there's there's plenty of money for these ones. So I all think are going to give each race a red hot shake. But I spent heaps of time on this race actually going back and and diving through the records for some form. Um, there's some handy horses right going around. Um, was really tough to go past Lyrical Lad, who obviously we just touched on last week, um, my best high and dry winning. Um, Lyrical Lad actually beat him last start, um, where they demolished third. So 
Um, it's going to be a first go at the distance for him, so I'm going to be. I prefer to watch um, Lyrical Lad in that one. So sticking with the awesome son, um, um, ended up landing with this guy after an impressive last couple of starts over some similar distances. Um, there's not too many horses in the race that have experienced this distance and actually won. So he's two from two at at, um, at this distance. Gets in really light. Um, we all know that Craig Newitt loves riding home um, winners down in Melbourne. I can't imagine that uh, he's going to be too far away from the front um, and wouldn't be surprised to see her jump up on the, the highest spot on the podium. Right, and now moving on to the punter's favourite uh, segment of the podcast, Bernie's Dollar Collector, actually finding a bit of form at the moment. Um, Tom, last week, Flemington race four, number 11, we go BAM, $9.50, $3.10 the place. How did that go, mate? Yeah, so second on the weekend. You would have had to jump on this one. Uh, on Friday when the podcast came out, um, as Mitch said, nine fifty and three dollars ten at the time the podcast was uh, was released. But by the time it jumped on Saturday, I was into like four dollars forty for a win and dollar fifty for a place. I think so. Punters loved it. It got smashed. And for this weekend, um, and so this weekend, I'm going to uh, Eagle Farm on Sunday, race number five, number twelve, Boom Nova. Um, eleven dollars for a win, three fifty for a place. Um, to be honest, this one's probably a little bit more of a stab in the dark than the uh, than the last few weekends. Um, but I like the record. Um, and second up, which it has previously run quite well um, after after its first run. So yeah. Um, look, we'll see what happens. It's also still a while away till, till we get to Sunday. But yeah, uh, boom, Nova number twelve, Eagle Farm Race Five on the weekend. I'd be disappointed to see uh, Boom Nova running around Eagle Farm, given the rest of the races at Doombin. Um, but uh, certainly, certainly be a good watch this weekend to see how he goes. I'm with you, Tom. I'll, I'll back you to the cows. Come on. Thanks, mate. Yeah, so that caps it off for the racing segment of the podcast and for the podcast as a whole. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at punting.fantasy or... We've got a TikTok now, punting underscore fantasy underscore podcast, where we upload a few clips. We uh, uploaded a bet slip from some of Weddo's tips on the weekend that look pretty juicy. So, um, yeah, just keep following us and keep helping us build a bit of a platform here. And thanks for listening.